If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 10. What we've been doing, we're calling these gatherings on Sunday evenings, we're calling them, um, well, we don't use the term a lot, but we're calling them beta gatherings. Um, the idea is that we're not, uh, we're like a baby that's still in the gestation period. We're not yet birthed as a church. Um, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to set up our DNA. This is who we are. This is what we're about. And so what we have focused on through the summer and now going into the fall is who we are. Uh, and who we are going to be when we say docs to church. Uh, and the reason that we've been talking about that, we're not talking about what we're going to do yet. We're talking about who we are. And the reason that we're doing that is because who you are is far more important than what you do. Uh, people who are um, kind of flashy and are big, and like they show up, like they're the ones that get the headlines. But the people, the, the people, the organizations, the churches that matter are the ones that 10, 15, 20 years later are still around. We're not so much about what we're doing as who we are, because if you are who you need to be, you're going to be doing what you need to do. Um, we obviously, as you can see, we're not the kind of church that's like got everything together and it's real flashy and, you know, glitzy and there's no laser beams or you know, fire shooting out of any, anywhere. We're just kind of really basic who we are um, because we believe that Jesus is powerful and the gospel is still what brings people to salvation. Um, Craig is a great example back in the back of somebody who probably isn't the flashiest person. I don't know that Craig, it's just a guess, if you know him very well, Craig's not the kind of guy that, that uh, he's not like a neon sign that lights up the room when he walks in. He, he, he probably was never, you know, voted, you know, best dressed or most likely to succeed out of any class that he was in. But when Jesus captured his heart, he just kept following after him. And that was... 40 years ago? 1972. So, Howard, yes. So he's still around. He's still following after Jesus. And that's, that's what we want to build when we talk about making disciples. We want to build men and women, and we want to build that into each other. The kind of people who 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now are still loving Jesus, still following after him. Look at John chapter 10. Uh, this is Jesus talking, and he says in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter, uh, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. So he's talking about sheep, which by the way, if you have kids in the little docks of kids that we have outside, they've been talking about sheep for like a month, month and a half. Like every week they've been talking about sheep and the good shepherd. So we're going to be, we're tracking with them right now. We finally caught up with them. Um, <laughs> But climbs another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, 
but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Uh, Jesus is, um, like, we like to, to get pictures of Jesus, um, like, the sweet, yeah, you guys know Jesus that gets painted. Um, he's real nice and sweet, and he's kind of smiling, this kind of, um, you know, unnatural smile. And uh, if you have this picture in your house, do not be offended, but this is just kind of how we paint him a lot of times. He's kind of a sweet guy, right? Kind of... Um, Maybe a touch of feminine, but either way, he's just a real sweet guy. And, and the picture is like he's, he's standing there and he's smiling and he's got the sheep wrapped around his, his neck, right? And, and he's smiling at you. And we like put a, a, a little clip from John chapter 10 on there and like, it's like a nice warm and fuzzy thing. But the truth is when Jesus calls you and me sheep, it's not a whole lot of a compliment going on. Sheep, first of all, are incredibly stupid, <coughs> You know, they're one of the actually, I don't know if they're the only, but they're one of the few animals that actually have to have humans to care for them. Sheep cannot exist on their own because they're too stupid. They just, they get in trouble all the time. This is how stupid a sheep is. They can't, they can't drink at, a, in, at moving water. They're not smart enough to do it. If they try it, they will actually drown. Because the water will rush over their nose and they'll try to breathe it in and they'll drown right there trying to drink at the stream. That's a really stupid animal. And that's the kind of animal Jesus is comparing us to. In fact, that picture that you see on the wall of Jesus carrying the sheep over his shoulder. Do you know why he's carrying the sheep over his shoulder? Because he's found the sheep. That sheep is a sheep that doesn't hear his voice and follow him and he kind of goes off his own way and gets caught in a, some brambles or something because again, they're stupid sheep. And so he'll go and get the sheep, pull the sheep out, break the sheep's legs and carry the sheep on his shoulders until the sheep gets used to being around the shepherd and hanging out with him. And then when their legs heal, they'll like, okay, I'll learn my lesson. I'll follow you wherever you go now. That's, that's what Jesus is comparing us to in this section and, but he, first of all, says that, um, that he is the gate. So listen to this. So, so the way to get into the sheepfold, he's the, the door that lets us in or lets us out. There's only one way. And then he says, not only am I, am I the gate, but I am also the shepherd. So in this picture, he's, he's two things. He's the gate that lets the sheep in and out or the, the good guys or bad guys in or out. And he's the shepherd of the sheep. And you know, you know what else? I, I'm just reading this into this, but um, it's absolutely true. Uh, he is also the pasture that he talks about. And he is also the water that they get led to, to drink out of. Later on, Jesus says, in other places, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He also tells them, 
I have rivers of living water for you to drink. He's, he is all of it. He's the gate. He's the shepherd. He's the pasture, the good grass for them to eat. And he's the still water that he is leading them to. He is everything good in the picture. And at Doxa, and, and not just at Doxa, but all across the world right now, do you know who the lead pastor is? It's not me. The lead pastor is Jesus. And... He's the way in, he's the shepherd over it, he's the one that we feast upon, and he's the one that we drink of. He is all those things. And so as we are establishing a church, we're establishing a church with the idea that I and Dale and Wombat and everybody else is a part of this in any sort of leadership capacity, we are not shepherds. There's only one good shepherd, and that's Jesus. He's the lead guy. We are under him. And so what that means is that I, I am not the priest of Doxa Church. Dale, as awesome as he is, is not the priest of Doxa Church. There is one priest. The priest is somebody who stands between man and God. And makes intercession for man to God and represents God to man. There's only one priest in the church. Who is that? Jesus is the priest. There's only one person that stands between you and the Father making intercession for you. It's not me. It's not your pastor at the church that you go to now or the church you're coming out of. Who is the one that stands between you and God? Only Jesus. And so my job and Dale's job and Wombat's job is not... To, uh, is not to be the go-between between you and God. Our job as under-shepherds, we, which we do have a job, is to take you to the pasture, point you to the water, and point you to the good shepherd or the great shepherd, but not to be any of those things for you. There is only one person who is the shepherd and the gate and the pasture and the still water for you. And that is Jesus Christ. And, and as such, if we will not create a culture here where I am sort of your crutch between you and God. Where Dale is your crutch between you and God. Between your small group leader is your crutch between you and God. We're going to be all about pointing you to Jesus, the number one out of our set of values here. We're not going to be pointing you to Docs at church or to me or to him or anybody else. It's going to be about Jesus. We're going to say he's the shepherd, he's the door, he's the, he's the pasture, and he's the water for you. He is everything that you need. There is nobody else. And so... As such, uh, there, is, there is a truth that when somebody becomes a believer, when, when God, because we've been talking about what is a disciple, and the first thing we talked about is a disciple is a new creation. A disciple is not somebody who is a, a student only of Jesus or like just believes in Jesus or you know, happens to agree with most of the things he said or the Bible or grew up in church or filled out a card or got baptized or got sprinkled or got whatever your...
passage was, it's not any of those things. A Christian, a disciple, is somebody who God, who was once was dead, and God breathed upon your soul and you became alive. The problem that people have, the problem that you and I have, is not that we do bad things. The problem is that apart from Jesus Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And it's only he that can breathe life into you. And so when somebody has that happen inside them, uh, every time they get hungry and they get thirsty. Because here's what the shepherd does not have to do for the sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep to the grass, leads the sheep to the water, but you know what they don't have to do for them? They don't have to take the sheep and open their mouth and take it to the grass and cause them to chomp on the grass. You know what they have to do? They lead them to the pasture. The dumb sheep see it, they run to it, and they feast upon it. And then when he knows they're thirsty, he leads them to the still water, and he doesn't have to take them and drown their nose in it so they finally taste it and drink it. All they have to do is see it and smell it, and they run to it and drink it. And here's the truth. When you become, when anybody becomes a new believer, when you are born again, then you hunger for Jesus. And you thirst for Jesus. It's just what naturally happens. Nobody has to tell me that it's time for lunch. No, Megan doesn't have to convince me when I get home that it's time for dinner because I'm hungry. Nobody has to make me drink. Well, you guys did, but, you know, generally. Nobody has to make me drink water because I am thirsty. And if a sheep will want to drink and will want to eat unless that sheep is sick Injured or dead. Uh, So my job at DOXA, Dale's job at DOXA, Wombat's job at DOXA, anybody else who will be involved in leadership, our job is not to make you eat, it's not to stuff food down your throat. Our job is to take you to the pasture and to point it out for you and say, this is Jesus, the lover of your soul. And this is what he did for you. This is who he is for you. And when we point you there, if you are a believer, you will run to him and you will feast upon him. You will run to him and you will drink deeply of the rivers of living water that flow from him. Because that is what sheep do. Sheep eat the food and they drink the water. By nature, you will do that. And that's why at DOXA, we're going to be all about the Word of God. We're going to be all unapologetic, unapologetically about doctrine, about the teaching of the Scripture. Because that, is, as I was saying before, is the Word of the living 
Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. at three sections of, of scripture that talk about um, that talk about scripture that talk about the Bible and then we're going to talk about um, what that means for us chapter 3 verse 16 actually we'll start back start back in, um, in verse 14 2 Timothy Tim is a great book because it is Paul who considers himself like a father in the faith to Timothy is writing to Timothy at the end of his at the end of Paul's life, and he is kind of giving him his last instructions. And he tells Timothy, verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the scripture which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, um, this is where I want some feedback for you guys. Verse 16, it starts to describe what Scripture is and what it does. Give me the, the first thing that it says about Scripture. It's God-breathed. It's God-breathed. What, is, what does that mean? Anybody? Not from man, it's from him. Absolutely. It, again... It should floor us that the God of all creation communicates with us. When you, we're, we were talking yesterday, you guys remember um, way back in the day before cell phones and before, uh, well not before cordless phones, but we didn't have as many, and, and you're in high school, okay, so some of you that are a little bit older. You guys don't count on this, but some of you guys that, that, are, that are a little bit older, and you remember, and, and, and your girlfriend or your boyfriend called the house, and there was like the, the kitchen phone, right? And it had the long cord, remember? And so you would see, how far can this cord stretch so I can get somewhere that's either private or semi-private so nobody else can hear me, but I can communicate with them? And then you would just sit there and talk. For hours, about nothing. You, you would like literally, even even with cell phones, like sit there and watch TV with them on the phone, right? And there would be no communication going on back and forth. You're just sitting there. You know, you know they're there. Uh, you guys, any of you ladies ever? Um, ever wrote notes in school? I don't even know if they still do that. Do you ever write notes in school? And, and then the girls would take it and do like that weird folding thing. It was like origami. And it was, had trouble getting it unfolded. I could never figure out, how did they do this? Where, where did they go to school to learn how to fold like this? I don't know. I can't get in. I need, 
a combination, not that I got many of those, but you know, uh, the one or two that I, you know, saw pass by me at some point or, or what or have you. Um, and you just, why did you hang on the phone? Why did you keep that letter from that girl with the like bubble writing and the, wrote the you know how they like, write the circles over the eyes or like little hearts over the eyes, you know, all that stuff. Why would you take that and keep it until a pencil? Remember like the pencil would like smudge on the page? Starts like, why did you do that? Because that was communication from somebody that you really cared about. You really cared about them and you cared about what they thought about you. And so their communication to you was precious. You would, you would waste time sitting in the pantry of your kitchen in the dark because that was the most private place you could get away from your family on the phone. Because what they said matters. And the God who loves you enough that he became a human Think about that. He took on a human body, lived a life for you, and died a painful, suffering death on your behalf. So that, and today, eternally changed his existence. God changed his existence for you. Today, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in a human body. And he was not before, but now he is. That's different. He changed his eternal existence for you. That God is communicating and breathing out words. So I don't have to make that precious to you. And you shouldn't have to make it precious to yourself. We just have to call it what it is. And the hearts of believers will respond. You will hunger and you will thirst to hear what God has to say. And God, because scripture is God-breathed, whenever we study it and read it and proclaim it and communicate it back and forth with each other, we will hear not just Megan communicating to me or me or Dale communicating up here to you. You will hear God speak to your heart. Think about that. What's the second description that he gives about the word of God? Or scripture? It's God breathed and next it's what? Profitable. Profitable for teaching. So, so just, just think about that. First of all, that the, the scripture is profitable. Like, as a believer, if you want to increase as a believer, it, where does it come from? It comes from God breathing his words of life into your soul. And it's profitable for teaching. So that, that tells us that we need to be taught. We need to be communica communicated to, like, we, something amazing has happened in our hearts when we become believers, but we don't understand it all. Then we have to grow in our knowledge. 
Sophia became a human being five years ago. She, like, that's an amazing miracle, but she didn't know anything. And so she has spent her last five years of her life, she doesn't know it, but she spent the last five years of her life discovering what it means to be a human. And you and I will spend the rest of our lives figuring out what does it mean to be a child of God. We have to and the teaching doesn't come from me or from Dale or from you know, a super preacher that you listen to his podcast all the time. The, the prophet comes from God breathing his words to your heart. What's the next thing that it says scripture does or is useful for? Rebukes. For what? Rebukes. It rebukes. Oh, that's a good one. We, we, we like that one. It, it says for reproof or rebuke or for correction. So that, that means that scripture, because it's God-breathed, it's from another, it's from like outside of our existence. Could we just kind of go through our existence? We have our whole culture, our way of doing things, and God speaks from outside of our culture and outside of our existence and says, hey, you think this is the way you're supposed to live life, but that's not the way. This is the way. And that also, well, we'll get to that later. What's the, uh, what's the next thing? Training in righteousness. There's a, there's a training element to being a Christian. Uh, Paul refers several times, he compares himself or compares us as Christians to athletes in training. An athlete is having to, you know, watch his diet and schedule his day out and take care of his body, take care of himself and make sure he's, he's caring for himself and training to the nth degree. And as a believer, we are to be doing the same thing. Thing that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So how does Paul describe scripture in this section? What's the first thing? Romans 15, verse 4, sorry. For what? For our learning or for our instruction? Absolutely. So again, this concept of teaching, this concept that we have to be learning, that scripture is over us and instructing us. What else? Yes, absolutely. Both of these. First of all, to get to um, that through endurance. So the scriptures build endurance. So if we, if I don't want to be a flash in the pan, right? If, if, if I don't want to be like, I love Jesus today and I'm all, everything's awesome. And then five years from now, you come back and visit me and I'm off the map, right? Have you guys ever known anybody like that? You know, they seem like they sprout up real fast and they're praising Jesus and you're like, wow, this is awesome. And then a year later, you're like, where'd they go? They're not, they're not anywhere. They're out if we don't want to be that kind of person, we need to build endurance. And that comes from 
The studying the scriptures. That comes from the life-giving, God-breathed word. And then um, it says that it encourages us. I don't know if you're here today or you at any time have ever been discouraged and beaten down. And you're like, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. If you need encouragement, what do you need? You don't need me. I mean, I play a role in that as your brother and sister in Christ, but you don't need me to answer all your questions. You need me to point you to the answer of all your questions. And he will encourage you. He will breathe his word into your heart and encourage you. And then it says that, just like Ricky said, that we might have Scriptures build hope. Do you know how it builds hope? Because this world is always, it crowds in upon our senses. It crowds in upon our things that we see and taste and touch and feel. And it feels real, doesn't it? And it has a a pull in in a certain direction. And God speaks to the scripture and reminds us that this is not all there is to life. That this is a drop in the bucket of eternity. That this is a world that has fallen, but he is coming to make things right. And it feels like we're on the bottom and things are, are dark and we can never quite get like there. We can't, and we can't, but it gives us hope that one day he's returning and he will set everything right. And all that is wrong and sad and painful and sinful in the world will be made right by his grace and by his power. It reminds us, it gives us hope. And then look at 1 Peter chapter 1. I think I have the wrong reference there, sorry. Second Peter, I apologize. Second Peter chapter one. And verse nineteen. And we have the prophetic word, which he's at this point he's referring to the words of the prophets in the Old Testament more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that, it, that the scripture, um, the word of God does in this section is it brings light to our darkened hearts. You and I can't do anything to convince somebody to become a Christian. All that we can do is speak to them and share with them what God has said. And he, through his word, shines the light in their darkened hearts. That's what happened to you and that's what happened to me. We were dark, we were dead in our trespasses and sin and then God spoke to your heart and light 
all of, all of a sudden shone in the dark places inside your soul. And you saw, for the first time, you saw. You saw who God was for who he really was. And you saw yourself for who you really were for the first time. You saw your sinfulness for the first time as it really was hideous and deserving of eternal punishment. And you saw the grace of God shown to you burning brightly from the hill of Calvary on that cross where he took the penalty for you and it broke through the darkness and shined light into the dark recesses of your soul. And that didn't come because somebody, you know, made it. Maybe it was a great sermon that you heard. It may have been a terrible sermon. It may have been somebody who sat down and really botched it up across the table from you. It may have been from somebody who just left afterwards and felt, man, I really flubbed that totally up. But it wasn't by their power or their eloquence or their ability to really craft a great argument. It was because God's word shone in the darkness of your soul and he made you alive. And the next thing it says is that it didn't come from human intellect. In verse um, verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It's not because somebody is so smart that they were able to... to, uh, explain it to you. It was just that God, it, scripture comes from God. And the last thing, it's a miracle of the Holy Spirit working through the, uh, just a normal man. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because somebody was super holy. It's because God in some miracle spoke through them. Spoke through them. So here is uh, just a review of a few things that we looked at in those three sections. The Bible is breathed out by God or God breathed. It's profitable. It is doctrine or it's teaching. It's correcting. It's training. In Romans 15, we heard about how it was our instruction. It builds endurance. It encourages. It builds hope. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, we heard how it brings light to our darkened hearts. It didn't come from any human intellect. And it's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. The fact that God spoke through men as they wrote down words is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. So, we're just going to tease this out and then we'll be done. What does this mean? What does this mean to us as we are looking at what are we going to be? What, is, what kind of church is Doxa going to be? What kind of community of people is Doxa going to be? What does that mean if we believe that not only is scripture God breathed, but we believe that a disciple, somebody who has been born again, will naturally, unless they are sick, injured, or dead, will desire the word, will desire the, 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 the bread of life, and will desire the, the rivers of living water that come from Jesus. What does that mean? First of all, it means that a, a disciple loves the words of God because loves God. And we talked about how you would hang on that that uh, that telephone with a long cord down the hallway or around the corner or you sat there and looked that paper over and over again and looked at the little heart dots over the eyes and the bubble letters and 
you know, how she took the time to fold it and like the crazy origami shape and it meant so much to you. You loved it, not because it was a beautiful letter. You didn't love the telephone call because they happened to be saying anything amazing that you had to hear at that moment. You loved it because you loved the person who was communicating to you. And that's why we love the scripture. We don't love it because we just happen to be book people or we like to study or we're kind of nerds. I kind of am a nerd, but that's not the reason that we love the scripture. We love it because it's the communication from God to us. In Psalm 119, you don't have to turn there. You can if you like. Psalm 119, uh, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 103. To what um, the psalmist is singing. He's singing this. Um, I shall start in verse 102. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Listen to this. Listen to this. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Listen to that again. I'm going to repeat it again. How sweet are your words to my mouth, sweeter than honey. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We love the word of God because they are the words of the one we love. That's why it tastes like sweet to your lips, sweet to your tongue like honey. And then the second thing that it means is a, dis- a disciple, not only does he love the words of God, but a disciple reveres the words of God because he reveres or respects God. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 19. And that's, uh, we'll start in verse 18. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and his statutes and doing them. God's word, because we love him and we we revere him, that's part of what happens when we, we see him for who he is. We suddenly see him not just the one who loves you, but you see him in his glory, in his might, in his majesty, in his holiness, in his total differentness than me. He is greater, he is bigger, he is awesome, he is amazing, he is almighty. And because of that, when he speaks, I revere what he says, I respect what he says, I I hold it in high esteem, I don't view it lightly, I don't trample it, I don't try to make it and bend it to say what I think it needs to say that will make me more comfortable. I take it as it is because he is God and I am not. And I come before him as his son. And you become before him as his son or his daughter. But you come before him as a son or daughter of the almighty creator God. And you come to him and you revere what he has to say. And you respect what he has to say. His word is above us. He, because he is above us. Third thing that it means is since Jesus is the lead pastor of the church, 
His words are the lone, true authority in the church. And that's not just church like Doxa Church. That's the church at large. Jesus is the only lead pastor. And it's what he has to say that has all authority. I have no authority just because somebody happens to call me church planter or somebody called call me pastor the other day. It's very weird to hear anybody refer to me as that, but it's very weird. Um, but just because I happen to be in that position does not give me authority just to make rules and kind of make decisions according to however I feel at the moment. Dale, as awesome as he is, he cannot just make calls in any position. He is... He, is under the authority of the lead pastor. And I am under the authority of the lead pastor. And I only have authority whenever I am agreeing with what he has to say. He is the lead pastor. He is the boss of the church. And I am not. So we don't get to make our own rules. He gives us a lot of leeway. There's a lot of stuff he just kind of, kind of gray area in scripture. He, we can kind of set up church in certain ways. He hasn't said, don't do it this way or do it this way. But in the areas that he has, we have to obey that. And we have to do things the way he says to do it. The fourth thing that it means is because we care so much about Jesus, because we love him so much, because he matters so much to us, then there is an academic element to studying the scripture. And here's why. Um, some of us are naturally more academic than others, right? I mean, some of us are just like natural readers, and some of us are not. You know, we just, if you, did they make the movie? That's what we want to know, right? And that's, that's fine. You don't have to be a bookworm. But what God, because we love Jesus so much, then what he says matters. And we want to know what did he mean when he said it? Whenever he says something in Deuteronomy or he says something in Luke or he says something through Paul in Galatians, I need to know what did he mean when he said that. And so that's why there is an academic element because in the end, the Bible is a book. And it is a book that was originally written in a different language than English. Newsflash. I don't know if you know that. Like Jesus wasn't American. Um, contrary to what we kind of assume, he wasn't a Southern American white male. Um, that may be news to some of us here. He actually looked very different than most of the people in this room. He, he, he spoke a different language. And we have translated the scriptures from that original language. And because what he says matters, that's why we have to delve into and see what did he mean when he said this. So there is an academic element. But the reason there is an academic element, not just because like, we want to be smart and we want to, like, I'm going to wear horn room glasses or impress you guys with my ability to know the original languages. The reason that matters is because Jesus matters. And so what he says matters. Um, I was just looking at Patty. We have a, a common friend in, in India. I went to a, a trip over there earlier this year. And he speaks English, but his wife doesn't. Though she understands more than she lets you know. But that's a whole other story. Uh, but she doesn't speak English. Um, but So whenever she's talking, I want to make sure that, that Victor doesn't clean up what she's saying. He does that a lot. Because Gita is his wife. 
you know, she kind of, she's the loose one. She kind of lets you know, like, she's just, she's shooting from, from the hip, right? I don't know if they do that in India, but she's shooting from the hip. She's letting you know. But he's kind of cleaning it up a little bit. And I'm like, no, no, no. Tell me what she said. I want to know what she said. You know why it matters? Because Gita matters to me. And I want to know what she has to say because I want to know her. And that's why we need to know. So there's a, there is an academic element. But number five, our study of the Bible can't be confined to an academic study. It's not just about knowledge. It's not about impressing other people. It's not about filling our minds and that I thought I know more, so therefore I must be a better Christian. The point of the knowledge is to, is to connect me to Jesus, that I know him more, and I become more like him. That's the point. So it's not just so we can be smart. The point is that I can hear him speak to my heart and he can change me. So I'm becoming day by day, week by week, more and more like him. Number six, if we believe that the Bible is the word of God and that we should naturally long for it, then we don't interpret the Bible as so much as it interprets us. Because God is above us, I don't get to look at his scripture and say, I think it's going to mean this. Or I'm going to make it mean this because really I'm not comfortable with what it says right here. I don't understand it or yeah, it just doesn't go with my lineup of beliefs so I'm going to kind of move it over here. No, I have to come underneath the scripture. And this, I, I look at the scripture in such a way that it's going to tell me about God and it's also going to open my eyes to who I am, right? I'm going to understand myself more because I'm going to have a better perspective. Because that's what we lack when we think about ourselves. We lack perspective. God gives us perspective and shows us who we really are. And so the scripture interprets me, I don't interpret it. Does that make sense? Number seven. If the Bible is the source of our life, then we must cling to it as we would cling to oxygen, food, or water. If the door to that room locked right now, and we knew that there's a limited supply of oxygen in this room, and until somebody can get us out of here, that food back there is all that we have to survive on, then we would cling to it. Right? We would cling to that caramel popcorn back there. We'd be divvying it out kernel by kernel. It would become precious to us. And if we, if we, I don't have to make it precious. The word of God is precious. And if I have forgotten that, then something's wrong with me. I'm going to read a couple of sections here. You can turn there if you like, but just listen. Psalm 42 is very, very pop, popular, well-known. I don't even know I'm turning there. I could quote it. It used to be a song that got sung a lot about this. Psalm 42, verse 1. Listen to, listen to this psalm. As a deer pants for flowing streams, 
Soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh thanks for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says this about himself. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his rivers of living water. And then Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. He's saying, I am the one. He, Jesus spends the whole book of John over and over and saying what he's what he showed for us in that story about the good shepherd. Not only is he the gate, not only is he the good shepherd, he's the water. He's the that which we feast upon. And, and if we truly believe that, then we must cling to it. We must hunger for it. We must look for it from each other. We must look for it when we gather together in large groups and in small groups. I don't want to hear, quite frankly, what you have to say. I love you. I, I want to talk about sports with you. I, I want to talk about football. I said not the game last night. Other games I'll talk about with you. But what I really need to hear, what I, out of my depth of my being, what I really, really desire to hear is to you, for you to speak God's word to me that I might live. See anymore that I may drink deeply of Him and taste of His goodness. And the last thing it means. First, first thing it means, a disciple loves the words of God because he loves God. A disciple, secondly, reveres the words of God because he reveres God. Jesus is the lead pastor of the church, so his words are the lone true authority in the church. Um, there is an academic element, but it's because we really care what Jesus has to say. But it's not just an academic element because it's about heart change, it's about getting to know Jesus. Um, we don't interpret the Bible, it interprets us. We must cling to it as we would to oxygen, food, or water. Number eight, if we are not clinging to it, studying, growing in the Bible, then we are either sick, injured, or dead. And if you're sick, then you need to recognize the fact that something's not right. And you need to come to the great physician that he may heal you. It may not be any of your own doing. 
Or it could be festering something inside your soul, inside your life. Or you might be injured. Somebody came in and they took advantage of you. Or you didn't even see it coming. You walked right off the side of a cliff. You fell in a trap. You got stuck. You're a stupid sheep. That's what happens. You got injured. Then you need the great physician to come and to heal you. And our job as the body is to come around you and to help care for you and to help carry you. But where, do you know where we carry you? To Jesus. Or if you're not desiring, if, you're not, if your soul isn't panting after the words of God, then it could be because you're not alive. You're not a sheep. So what you need is you need God to breathe upon your soul. You need to recognize your need for that Savior that we've been talking about to stand between you and the Father. And so we need to allow for each other to be sick or to be injured or not to be alive. But we have to recognize the fact that My job and anybody else's job around you is not to take you and cause you to eat. That if everything's working and flowing right, you will be hungry and you will be thirsty. But if you're not, then something else is going on and we have to take care of that. We will come alongside you. We will hold you up. But we're not going to, we're not just going to, because what happens oftentimes, this won't be, I have other temptations. I have a lot of, you guys, if you already known them, you won't know them. I have a lot of weaknesses, but one my weakness will is not will not be. Some people who are pastors, they really get off on like other people needing them, and so it creates a codependent relationship. Like you, you're hurting, you're injured, and you're weak, and so I come and I'm kind of like your priest, and I stand between you and God, and I I kind of give you what you need and you give me what I need, which is that I need to be needed. And so it's an unhealthy relationship going back and forth. That what I have to do with you and what you have to do with each other is to point you to Jesus and not to me. He's the one. And so that's why doctrine matters. That's why scripture matters. That's why the teaching matters. That's why we will study together and we will study individually. That's why we will learn and constantly be learning, not because we want to grow smarter and people come in and say, oh, that's a smart people church. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I happen to be the lead pastor of this thing. It's not going to, I'm not the, I'm the planter of this thing. I just, Jesus is the lead pastor. The purpose is that Jesus will be lifted up and glorified as he breathes upon your soul with my soul, the words of life. Let's pray. Father, we are weak and we are poor. And if we believe anything contrary to that, then then we um, we are sick in a way. You are the good shepherd. You are the food and you're the drink You're the water of life and we are tempted as stupid sheep to find water and to find food elsewhere, but it it never agrees with us. It always gets in trouble. It always leads us down a dark path that, that we're just too stupid to get out of. So God, as we come to 
to sing to you and to sing about you. Uh, we come as weak and poor people. I pray we be freshly aware of our weakness. We be freshly aware of our lack apart from you and that you, that we would sing about you and think about you and feast upon you. That we would drink deeply of your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love and your holiness and your greatness of your passion for us, of your, your passion for your own glory, that we would find solace in that, that we would drink of that, that we would eat of that, that we would taste you and know that you are good once again because we are prone reawaken that in us. That it wouldn't be about me or Doxa Church or anything else, but we'd be a group of people gathered here together or going our separate ways who have found you to be the quench for our thirst. that we worship you as our Lord and our Savior, our Creator, our Maker, our Lover, our Friend. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would glorify your Son tonight.